5, verse 5. And it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And much like the first two Beatitudes, the first two descriptors of this Christian walk of kingdom people, uh, this one is completely misunderstood in our day and age. Okay? Uh, people don't understand what it is to be poor in spirit. They don't understand what it is to mourn over sin. And guess what? They definitely don't understand what it means to be meek. In fact, of the first three, I would say this one might be the least understood or the most misunderstood, if you will. And, and so uh, this morning, we're just going to tackle it head on like we have with everything else. And so we're going to begin by defining it. And let's start by talking about what meekness is not. Okay? Number one, I want you to know first and foremost this morning that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus uh, tells us that, that we're blessed if we're meek. And, and, and in his word, it says Galatians 5, that there is a, a fruit of, of the Spirit of God. And that fruit of the Spirit of God is love and joy and peace and patience and, and goodness and faithfulness. And it says, and gentleness and self-control. And that word gentle is a form of, of this word here in Matthew 5, meek. It's talking about meekness. And, and when you hear those words today in our culture, they don't make sense. See, we have taken the word meek and the word gentle, and, and we've made them effeminate. Now, now, Webster would say something effeminate means that it is not a natural quality to a man. Okay, and, and so we would say, listen, meekness and gentleness, that's not natural for a man. And, and that's what our society says. And, and so, in fact, today I would tell you, uh, those of you that are men and that you're here, praise God for you. Because there are many men that will not darken the doors of a church because they feel that church is just a place for, for women and for children. I'm being honest with you. That, that, that thought is out there today. And, and much of that, I believe, is because there's a misunderstanding of meekness and there's a misunderstanding of gentleness and there's a misunderstanding of Jesus. You see, friends, Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't a soft-skinned Pharisee. He, he, he was a calloused hand carpenter. That's who he was. You, you, you forget, for, thir for, th for three years he did public ministry, but for, but for 30 years he grew up as a carpenter's son and, and he used his hands. And, and I'd, I'd say to you today, and, and some of you do hard, hard work, but I tell you, I bet Jesus' hands were a lot more callous than yours. We also forget, you know, his followers. He didn't call a group of, of uh, <laughs> he didn't call a group of effeminate guys to be in his gang. That, that wasn't how that worked. In fact, they, they were fishermen and the like. They, they, were, they were ruffians, you know. And so much so that when they began to talk, people took notice. They were like, wait a second, these aren't that, those soft-skinned Pharisee guys talking. These are these, these roughneck fishermen kind of people. They're uneducated. And yet hear how they speak. And they took note that they had been with Jesus, you remember? And, and, and so I, I want you to understand the first and foremost this morning that Jesus was not weak. Neither were his followers. That's not what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Number two, I want you to understand this morning that meekness is not about avoiding conflict. It's not about avoiding conflict. Numbers 12, uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, says that Moses uh, was more meek than anyone on the face of the earth. That Moses was more meek than anyone on the face of the earth. Literally, that he was the meekest man-man. You know, Jesus was the God-man. He was the meekest man-man to walk the face of the earth. And yet, you think about what Moses did, right? Moses, the meekest man on earth, 
walked up to the most powerful ruler on the face of the planet during his day, Pharaoh. I mean, I mean, I don't even know what to compare Pharaoh to today. You can't compare him to the president because he was more powerful than that. You can't compare. I mean, there, there's nobody. He, he walked up to the ruler of the world on more than 10 occasions. And he looked him in the face and said, God says, let my people go. So surely meekness can't be about avoiding conflict, okay? I want you to see this. Meekness is not a peace-at-any-price kind of mentality. You know some people like that. They, they read the gospel, and again, we're called to be peacemakers. And so they, they say, well, that, that's what it is. That means that you can't really have any conflict. You can't confront people. Well, guess what? Jesus confronted people. When he walked into the temple and he overturned the tables, he was still meek when he did that, Okay? So it can't be about avoiding conflict. It's not peace at any price. It's not being a pushover. Number three, meekness is not simply being nice or, or being easygoing. I think we all know some really nice people. Uh, you know, and, and there are some people in our lives, they're just naturally, they're naturally nice. Don't you don't you hate those people? I mean, in a godly hate, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's somebody, they're just so naturally nice. I'm not nice until at least two cups of coffee and an hour out of bed, you know? Right? I'm, I'm not even remotely nice until then. Uh, we, we, we've discovered recently that with uninterrupted sleep, I'm not very nice. Uh, and, and we realized back, you know, when, when Connor was a kid and he wouldn't sleep through the night for like two years, that, that you know, our marriage, we were like, ah! at each other. She would be like, ah! and then I was like, ah! and it was just ah! nonstop and needed counseling probably. And, uh, you know, and, and we just barely made it through by the skin of our teeth. And, uh, and, and we realized, you know, hey, Without certain things, I'm not a very nice person. But, you know, there are people like that in your life. we got some people here this morning. I, I wouldn't point them out. I, I see their faces, but they'd make the rest of us jealous. So we don't want to do that. But, but they're just such naturally sweet. Guess what? That's a great quality. It's a very rare quality in our world. But it's not me. That's a natural quality. Remember, these are all spiritual or supernatural qualities. So that's not what meekness means either. So what does meekness mean? What is it? Well, I'll tell you, meekness is bridled strength. That's what meekness is. It's, it's bridled strength. It is power under restraint or power under self-control. The word here in verse 5 literally is a Greek term that's used to describe an animal that has been broken or domesticated. An animal that has been broken or do- domesticated, an animal that has learned to submit and to accept control by their master. You think about that for a moment. You think about a horse. I don't know if you've ever been around a real horse. I don't mean a, I don't mean a little pony, right? I, I, I don't mean a, a little tiny thing that you see at a petting zoo. Have you ever been around a real horse? You know, one of those that, that is overhead high, and you look at that thing, and you just go, wow, God. That was a really cool creation, right? And you see the the defining muscles, and they're just gorgeous, amazing, powerful creatures, and I'm afraid they're going to step on my toes, right? I mean, that's always me. I mean, just one... My my grandmother had horses growing up, and all her little toes were all mashed and nasty, and and as grandkids, we would go visit, and she'd want us to rub them and paint them. I'm still working through that in my adult life, but anyway. And and so, so these great, amazing beautiful creatures. Well, guess what? There was a time that all those creatures were free and they ran in the wild. And, 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 and you know what? While they were beautiful, they really weren't very 
powerful or useful or effectual for mankind. But then when they were captured and when they were domesticated and when they were bridled, once all of that strength that they possessed came under the the control of a master, our world was changed as we know it. Our, our, Our societies changed. It changed the way that we did farming. It changed the way that we traveled. It changed warfare. It changed that the, the, the face of history, this bridal strength. And I want you to know when we talk about meekness, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about great power that is under the control of the master. That's what it means to be meek. Number two, meekness, meekness is controlled, selfless anger. Controlled, selfless anger. One of our best clues as to what the original hearers would have thought of when they heard Jesus use this word meek is to study the work of Aristotle in, in his, his work on Greek ethics. And, and see, Aristotle believed that life had these great virtues and that the virtues of life were always found in, in the middle ground. They, they were the means between excess and deficiency. And that's how Aristotle defined virtue. And so, for instance, courage is a great virtue. And he saw that as that was the middle ground. That was the means between being a coward and being foolhardy. That was the means between being somebody that refused to fight and somebody that just would jump right into a fight without seeing how many people he was fighting. Okay? That means was a virtue. I'll give you another for instance. He, he said generosity. That was, that was the means between somebody that was stingy and somebody that was just absolutely foolish with their money, right? And this is how he saw meekness. He said meekness was the means. The meekness was the means, Cody. Get me up, Cody. There we go. Nope. There we go. Meekness was the means between excessive anger and having an inability to show anger at all. And so this is how Aristotle defined meekness, okay? That next one. He literally said it was being angry on the right occasion, with the right people, at the right moment, and for the right amount of time. See that? It's a big deal. That's a big deal. William Barclay, the great commentator, would would take that and take from that, uh, and he he would look at this beatitude and he would say this. Barclay said, Blessed is the man who is always angry, at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And he says, well, what is the wrong time? Ready? The wrong time is any time that somebody is attacking you. That's the wrong time to be angry. Barclay said, listen, there's no such thing. Selfish anger is a sin, he would add. Selfish anger is a sin. But selfless, controlled anger, being angry with the right person, at the right moment, for the right amount of time, he would say that is true meekness. That's true meekness. That's a big deal. So it's controlled, controlled, selfless anger. Number three. Number three. Meekness. Meekness is, and this is is huge. This is going to really set us on track for the rest of our time this morning. Meekness is a disposition of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good. It's a disposition of spirit in which we come to accept 
God's dealings with us is good. And follow me how they build on one another. We begin with being poor in spirit. We see God, and in seeing God, we see ourselves, and we realize that we have nothing to give. We're we're, we're spiritually bankrupt. We can't be righteous on our own and by ourselves. When you see true holiness, it it, it blows through every definition of self-righteousness you have. You're spiritually bankrupt, so you begin there. And then when you really look at God and you really see God and you start to see your own sin, you start to realize how different from God that you are and you see something worth living for, you start hating the sin within. And so you begin to mourn over it and begin to cry out, Oh God, change my heart. Oh God, kill this sin within me, right? And that's what mourning is. It's personal grief over personal sin. It's it's that desire to change, right? And so we, we get there and then follow me. This is what sits in. Once you understand those things and you, you start to understand what God has done for you, when you understand that you are indeed a sinner of sinners and that there is nothing good within you, yet this great holy God chose to save you despite yourself, that He sent His perfect Son who lived a perfect life and died our sinner's death upon the cross. You remember, that's the whole deal. What's the payment of sin? What's the wage of sin? It's death. And you say, but I sin all the time, but I'm not dying necessarily. Well, guess what? That's because Jesus stood in your place and took the death payment for you. And when you begin to understand that, that I am a great sinner and God is a gracious God, here's kind of what happens. You get to a point that you just come to an end of yourself. And you realize, you know what? God is good. God God is, is, is so good. And we realize we, we, we have and we deserve nothing else. If you've received salvation, friend, then you've got it, right? If you've received salvation in Jesus Christ, then you've already gotten so much more than you deserve. God sustained you and kept you alive so that you could be saved and be with Him in an eternity. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is extra. Everything else is abundance. We don't deserve the everything else. Are you following me, friends? We didn't deserve the cross. We surely don't deserve tomorrow. We don't deserve comfort. We don't deserve well-being. We have no rights. We have no rights. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. I love this. He says, we are to leave everything. This is what meekness is. We are to leave everything. We are to leave ourselves, our rights, our cause, and our whole future in the hands of God. And especially so, get this, especially so, if we are suffering unjustly. If we're suffering unjustly. And I want to tell you what that means, guys, is you and I don't have any... You know what our rights are already? Here's our rights. Death and hell. That's what we deserve. Those are the only two rights we have. We have death and hell. And and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to speak this to you because we all suffer. And in the midst of suffering, it's so hard to see this. But that is still the truth. Even in the midst of suffering, all we deserve is, is death and hell. And the fact that we've received anything more than that, that should be enough. I think we all want to see our children grow up, right? We all want to be able to walk our daughter down the aisle watch our sons get married. We all want to bounce our grandkids on our knee. We all want to be able to retire comfortably and go spoil them to death and let their parents deal with the aftermath. Thank you, grandparents. 
Listen, we, we all want to do that. But we don't have the right to do any of it. We, we, we all desire that, but that doesn't mean that we have the right to it. Are you, are you following me? Those are two very, very different things, and I think that's a huge word for us today as Christians living in America. Notice I didn't say American Christians. I think that's a cult. As Christians living in America, and and, and here's the danger because we have this great country that we love, and we have freedom to worship God, which we love, and and, and we defend nations that can't defend themselves, which we love, but but in our country, you just look at the the first ten ten amendments, right? And what do we call those? That's the Bill of Rights. And then as a Christian, you're called to understand what meekness is. And meekness says, I have no right. I have no right. My only right is hell and death. That's it. So as Christians, we've got to figure this out. We've got to, we've got to work through this. And so I, I pray that I can help you some this morning. What, is, what does this look like then when it manifests itself in our life? What is, what is a, a, a true believer that, that is meek look like? And, and here's some characteristics. Number one, we let God fight for us. If we've truly come to an end of ourselves, we start to let God fight for us. Uh, David Platt in his book Radical tells this great story of a man that he names Raiden. That wasn't his real name, but he was an Indonesian seminary student. And in Indonesian seminary, to graduate, you've got to go plant a church, a church. By the way, in a Muslim culture, you've got to go plant a church. And so he's at a, at a village of an unreached people group, and, and uh, this guy Raiden is. And he, and he tells David, he says, listen, by, by the way, I used to be a fighter. He says, I was trained in, in ninja and jujitsu and all these other moves. I was a fighter. And I went to this village, and I'm sharing Christ. And in walks a witch doctor. And the witch doctor begins to cuss at me and to call me out and says, all right, let's fight, the witch doctor says. And the guy's like, fine. I will take you out, sucker. I mean, people will know that you're nothing. He's, he's getting ready to go out and kill this guy. And so he starts walking out, and he says, God impresses upon him and says, Raiden, wait a second. You don't fight for you anymore. I fight for you. And so, so the guy said he took a stool, and he sat down, and he says, God fights for me now. And he sits down. And this witch doctor begins to kind of dance all around him and taunt him. And as he's talking, all of a sudden he can't breathe anymore. And, and the guy's choking, and he drops dead right there, the witch doctor does. Can you imagine that testimony? I wonder how many people got saved in that village that day, right? And, 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 and guys, here's, here's, here's the point of, of that story, and this is what it means for us. In Christ, I know who I am. Man, I, I've seen him, and I've seen me, and friends, me is ugly. That's who me is. I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of mirror you're looking in. But when you look into a mirror of, of, of holiness, man, I see every wart. I see every imperfection. I see every crack and crevice. I mean, they're not wrinkles, brother. They are cracks in my character that I see before a holy God. And, 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 and I see those things. And, and listen, let me just ask, what can I add to that? I can't add anything to that. You say, Brother Jason, you're a liar. And then some. You say, say but, but man, you're, you're a thief. You know it. You're an adulterer. Yes, I am. Why? I don't have anything to defend, friends. I am a sinner of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners, Paul says. That's who we are. And, and so why does it matter if someone tries to attack my sin nature? Yes, I am a sinner. 
You know what you do? Give them some more things to add to the list. I am all of those things. Here's the deal. This is meekness. I have no defense. I have no defense. I have but one defense, and that is Christ and his righteousness. That's it. He is my defense. And so if we're living in this, if we're walking in this, we stop defending ourselves, okay? That's what it looks like. Number two, it, it manifests, manifests itself in this. We no longer pity ourselves. If we stop pitying ourselves, I know too many Christians that they, they live in this sense of, of self-pity. And, and, and here's the deal. At the heart of, of their pity is this belief that they deserve more. Are, are you? It's, it's this belief. Wait a second. Hold. Stop, friend. Stop, Christian. I'm sorry. What are your rights? Death and hell. Those are your rights. The fact that God has, has mercifully and graciously saved you, that was above and beyond what you deserved. Amen? Do you believe that? I, I, wait a second. Do you believe that? Only like half of you believe that, right? This could be an issue. Do you believe that, that, that that's all the, way above what you deserve, right? Salvation? It is. It's way more than we deserve, but we don't live like that. Here's how we live. Jesus told it in a parable. We live like the workers, right? You remember the guy had a vineyard and he went out and he hired some workers and he negotiated a price. He says, hey, Noah, listen, I'm going to pay you X amount for the whole day. And Noah says, dude, money, yes, I'm there. And he goes out to work, right? He goes on and says, later that day, he says, wait a second, I've still got some more work. Travis, come on, come on out with me and, and work for me. And Travis says, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll go work for you. And he goes out lunchtime and says, Jonah, now I need you. And, and he just goes on and on and says, Bo, now, now, you know, it's 3 o'clock, but hey, I still have work to do, okay? And he's going, Jacob, now listen, it's, it's almost quitting time, only an hour left, but I still have work to do in my vineyard. Will you come? He says, yes, they come. At the end of the day, the owner comes out and he gives them all the same way. Here you are, here you are. And, and, and it says that the guy that agreed to the first term said, wait a second, why are they getting as much as we're getting? Why, why are they getting as much as we're getting? Uh, we, we worked all day. And he says, wait a second, who are you to tell me what I do with my grace? What, what, what I do with my gracious gift? They got the same thing that you received. You agreed to the terms of this, uh, of this work arrangement, didn't you? Well, yeah, I did. Well, well hear me, God. When, when we walk around in this this cloud of self-pity, here's what we're saying to God, right? Because remember, we don't deserve anything, right? What we're saying, every everything from the moment we're saved is what? It's extra. It's abundance. So when we walk around in self-pity, when we say, but but listen, I've got this disease. I lost this person. I, I'm, I'm struggling and I lost my job. I'm doing, I'm going. When we walk around in pity over those things, here's what we're saying. God... The extra that you've given me, the abundance that you've given me, that's not enough. Hmm. Do, do, do you see how self-centered that thought process? Now we wouldn't proclaim, we wouldn't say that, but that's what that's what it is. That's what the workers said. They said, "Wait a second, that's not enough. The the, the grace that you've given me isn't enough, friends. It's got to be enough." When, when you come to an end of yourself and you realize who God is and what you really deserve is death and hell, then everything else is extra, then every single day is a gift from God. Every single moment is a gift from God. Every single blessing. It's one more day that God has provided great gifts. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Soak up every moment of it. But don't pity your circumstances. You've already received way more 
when meekness manifests itself in our life, we no longer worry or fear. I'm going to tell on myself, yesterday, I am a creature of habit. I write sermons on the same white tablets and the same black uh, gel ink pens that Gene buys me uh, from Sam's, and, and I've, got, I've got containers of them, and if you go to my office, you think, man, he's got a lot of files. You pull them out. They're all these these tablets with all this, and, and, and I'm, I'm very, like, I've, I've got I've to do a little word study on Monday with administration, and Tuesday I've got to outline, and Thursday I've got to write, but Thursday was my son's birthday. So we went out on Connor's birthday and did some in on Friday, and, and, and now, you know, my secretary's gone, so I've got to print notes and put them up and cut them and do the stuff and, and make some slides and blah, 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 and yesterday I was just freaking out. Hope is like, what is wrong with you? I was like, well, one, I'm not getting any sleep in this house, okay? That is part one. And, and part two is there are things that have to be done, and I don't know if I can do them all, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, would you? What are you preaching about tomorrow? And I was like, oh. Okay, follow me. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. A- ever watch that show, Doomsday Prepper? Have you seen it? There's, there's a whole show about people that are worried the world's going to end. Uh, and, and, okay? They, they think the world's going to end, either financial collapse or earthquake or something. So they're spending all their life savings getting everything they can together for the end of the world. They're prepping for They're, they're afraid, all right? I, I, I love you, and, and I like Fox News, but if you listen to Fox News all day, you're going to become one of these people, man. It's going to happen. I mean, you're just going to believe, oh, my gosh, the sky really is falling. I, you know, you're going to go to your boss, just pay me in gold. I will no longer accept the dollar. I want yen. I want, I mean, you're going to, I mean, this is who you're going to be. And, and your whole world is ending. And you just, you know what, just pay me in rice and beans. That's what I need. And, and it build me a shelter. And uh, so there's these people. And, and here, here's the deal. These people have always existed. And, and, and we've always lived in fear. And this is what Jesus says in this very sermon to people that fear. He says, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough to worry about on its own, right? He later says in Matthew 10, he says, and and don't worry about your body. Don't worry about about your body being hurt or maimed or killed. Who, Who you should worry about is God who has the ability to throw your butt into hell. That's my translation, okay? That's what he says. So, so, so here's the deal. This is what meekness is, right? Meekness is, is when we, we realize all of those things. And we realize how low we are. John Bunyan said it like this. I love this, right? He, he said, he that's down, fear no fall. Brother, if you understand who you are, you are a sinner. That's who you are. Okay? You're not even on the bottom bunk, brother. You're on the trundle. You know what I'm saying? That's who you are. Wait, wait, listen. When you sleep on the top bunk, you've got to worry about falling out and breaking your neck. When you sleep on the bottom bunk, you might get a little bruise. When you're on the trundle, nothing happening, baby. All right? It's already on the floor. You're on the ground floor. That's who we are. And guys, if that's who we are, what do we have to fear? Brother, I'm finished. I, I, I've won. You know what? People worried about the end of the world. Well, you better get some guns and some ammo. Somebody come knocking on your door. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell them about Jesus, and if they shoot me, I'm going to glory. Hallelujah! What's your plan? You know, I I mean, just follow me. You have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. I've already experienced the grace and the goodness of God. And everything else from here on out is abundance. I don't have to worry about a fall. Brother, I, 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 
times. I've already been there. I am that person. I am that person. Okay, number four. We are way up against the timelines. Okay, this happened in the morning service too. Got to condense these things in, right? Uh, number four, we're no longer focused on retaliation. Meekness looks like this. We're no longer focused on retaliation. If we truly surrendered all of our rights, if we have truly surrendered our cause, if we truly surrendered our future to God, and we believe and we accept that's our disposition, that His dealings with us are always good, then the only natural outpouring of that is that we trust God to defend us. We trust God to defend us. We, we don't have to defend ourselves anymore. I, I, love, I love what Paul says, okay? Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And, and, and man, I think, I think he just knocks it. I, I, well, I, there's no way I could put it better. I'm an idiot. So Romans 12, uh, starting verse 17, and, and I, I just love this. Uh, Romans 12, 17, Paul writes... Do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, if it's possible. Doesn't mean you always have to. It's not peace at any cost. Verse 19, he says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's, that's what meekness looks like. We're not worried about revenge anymore. We're not worried about revenge anymore. Now, now let me talk to you just for a moment about why that's important. This is what it does to us. I'll be done, I promise Almost made it through the whole thing without going up Okay? Here's why it's important. Number one, it's the third descriptor of kingdom people. Right? It's, it's important because this is part of the fruit of the Spirit of God listed in Galatians. Meekness is, is, is part of our character and our conduct to a watching and waiting world. They need to see this in us. I, I promise you, it, it, it's a marked difference in man. If you're out in the world and somebody insults you and it means nothing to you and you say, brother, you're right, I am that and more, people around you will look at you like you're strange. Wait, wait a second, you, but he just called you and I agreed with it. Well, wait a second, don't you, you need to defend yourself. You're not a liar, I know you, you're a pretty good person. No, I'm not. I'm a miserable wretch in failure without Christ. I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I covet. If you knew the thoughts that happened in my head, you wouldn't even associate yourself with me. That's who I am. And they look at you and go, whoa. Whoa. It stands out in our world. It stands out in our world. Walk around in meekness. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, it's important. Because get this. Oh, it's so huge. It frees us up to serve God. It, meekness is one of the most freeing characteristics you can find. Don't believe me? Check this out, right? If you are no longer defending your own actions, start there. No longer defending myself. If, if you're no longer living in pity, okay? I'm no longer defending myself, and I'm no longer having pity parties, right? If you're no longer gripped with fear, okay? <laughs> Wait, I mean, just, just follow me. No defending, no living in pity, no 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 you know, being worried all the time about fear, and if you're no longer plotting revenge, then you got a whole lot of free time, brother. 
you got a whole lot of free time. If you cut all those things out of your life, you've got oodles and oodles and oodles of time to serve the king. It's freeing. It frees us up to serve God. Number three, I love this. It allows God to show his glory. You know, listen, Raiden probably could have gone out with some karate and ninja and jujitsu and given the witch doctor his what for. Probably could have done that. You know, you and I, we can do things in our own power. We can defend ourselves. We're crafty. words that can break people, right? Man, I know some words. I, I have to be careful when I say it. My wife and I, if we have an argument, I tend to just leave. I'm like, I'm going to walk out for a moment because because that's, I'm a sinner, man, and, and, and I have hateful, hateful things that, that can well up from my old nature, and I don't I don't ever want to speak hateful things, so, so we can do that, right? But, but check this out. If you stop defending yourself, if you stop fighting, and you allow God to fight for you, boy, does it bring Him glory. Boy, does it bring Him glory. When we just sit down and we allow God to win. Because ultimately, that's, that's the way that it's meant to be. We want to give God glory, then let Him fight for you, and He'll receive the glory. You want reward here on earth? Do you want credit for it now? Or do you want reward in heaven? Let Him win for you. Store up your treasure in heaven. Number three, or number four, I'm sorry. It's the key to contentment. I told you this was a big deal. It's the key to contentment. Why? Because it provides perspective. It says that the meek shall inherit the earth. And, and of course, that, you know, Revelation 21, new heaven, new earth. That's great. That's the ultimate fulfillment. But I want, to, I want you to see the current fulfillment of somebody that's meek. It totally changes your perspective on life. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Why don't you turn there real quick? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I am done, I promise. Uh, starting in verse 9, verse 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Friends, Paul was, was, was in prison half the time. He was beaten. He was naked. He was poor. He, he, he was thought of as an outcast. People always had a problem with him. Every time he'd preach, people would follow to that new place that he was, and they would shout things out at him and get him in trouble. And, and yet, what does he say? He says, I've got everything that I need. And one of the great, great gifts of God to his children is that their perspective is radically changed. When you understand that you have no rights, and, and, and that, that, that everything from the point of your salvation, which you didn't deserve, is just additional blessing, right? Every, everything else is just abundance. When you understand that, it changes your whole perspective on life, doesn't it? So, so yes, come my way, sickness, it's abundance. Come my way, loss, it's abundance. Every day that I can breathe is abundance unto me. Thank you, Jesus. I have everything. Everything. It's a big So what do we do? I'll give you these three things very quickly. And, uh, and we'll move into our time of decision. Number one, you surrender everything to Him. Surrender everything to Him. Lay down your rights. Lay down your cause. Lay down 
your future. Surrender it to Jesus. Surrender it. That's what it looks like. Number two, let Him be your defense. Stop defending yourself. Stop worrying about what others think. It doesn't matter. I've got better things. I've got better things. I put this last one down. And all that free time you possess. Go on the offensive. Serve God. Man, I tell you, if you're not defending yourself, if you're not worrying, if you're not living a life of fear, if you're not planning retaliation, you've got a lot of time to serve. Go on the offensive with all that.